Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's share in God's good word together. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. It was August 28th, 1963. And the mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial was filled with more than 250,000 people. And after a long, long afternoon of inspiring speeches, gospel singer Mahalia Jackson sang two spirituals that caused the CBS Evening News anchor Roger Mudd to say, all the speeches in the world couldn't have brought that response that just came from the hymns she sang. Dr. King would follow. He was allotted five minutes. Five minutes of speaking time. And Dr. King, as he was getting ready, spent the entire night until four in the morning writing by hand, longhand, his speech. It was well-written, quite scholarly. And as Dr. King began his speech in that quite scholarly manner, he began to stumble on a line that he wasn't sure would work and began to riff off script. It was just then that the preacher heard the gospel singer behind him say, Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. Dr. King put his notes aside. And launched into the words that have now become part of our American history. I have a dream. And Dr. King, as the pastor and preacher that he was, he used the imagery from the prophet Isaiah. To connect with the despair and disillusionment of God's people in his day. And he said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made Plain, and the crooked places will be made, what friends? Straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. And then he said this. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair... A stone of hope. I want you to see this word for word. With this faith. Read it with me. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. That's why we're here. In these days of despair, in these days of disillusionment. Yeah, it's a mountain. It's bigger than any of us can climb alone. But we are here to remind the world, to remind ourselves, to remind our children, to remind the world that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. So we're starting a new sermon series called Resilient, Finding Strength in the Chaos. Is there chaos? Oh yeah, you bet. 
You bet. But worship is a place to find the Lord, be empowered by the Lord, to go out into the world in strength, to be light to the world. So as a way of introduction, I want to make sure that we get this right. A lot of my Protestant friends, we are a Protestant tradition, uh, they get really nervous when I start talking about you know, working into our faith. So, so let me just be really clear up top. Being loved by Jesus is a gift. Being loved by Jesus is a gift given to everyone on the planet. We know this very clearly from John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And in case you missed it the first time, let's read verse 17 together. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, your salvation, it's a gift from Jesus. But that's not what Jesus asked his disciples. He never asked his disciples if they were saved. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Follow me. Follow me. And following Jesus is a decision. Following Jesus is a decision. Your salvation is a gift. To follow is a decision. And we know this from Matthew 4. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, say it with me, follow me. That's what Jesus' call is. And I will make you fish for people, or uh, fish for fishers of men, in other translations. Immediately, they left their nets and followed Jesus. And as Jesus went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, (laughs) their work and their family, and, say it with me, followed him. That's Jesus' call. Now, following Jesus is a skill. Did you know that? It's actually a way of life, and you can learn it. We can teach it. You can learn it. We are here to be followers of Jesus. And if you doubt this in any way, Jesus is the great master teacher, the great rabbi. And so he would teach his disciples how to live, how to be, how to face suffering, even how to pray. And so in the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says, Jesus does. And whenever you pray, he's teaching them a skill. This is how you do it. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. That's, it doesn't matter if other people see us, what we're doing. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward. So he says, yes, you've seen that, but I tell you, whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, teaching that again, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. By the way, that's still around. Right? You know what Jesus says about that? Don't. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Say it with me. Pray then in this way. And many of you know the rest. It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when we say that we can and we want to and we will learn how to follow Jesus, learn the skills and find the strength to follow him day by day, to actually be disciples of Jesus, not just takers from him, we will learn things like how to stay calm when confronted or attacked. That'd go a long way in today's society, don't you think? If you claim the name of Christian and you were unoffendable, 
People can say whatever they want to say about you. It makes no difference. You're not following them. You're following him. You're following Jesus. I mean, look at the power of the early church. It wasn't their theology. It wasn't their ability to argue with people. It certainly wasn't their standing. It was the way they behaved. It was the power that resided in front of them, inside of them. So in Acts 16, we find the followers of Jesus. And the crowd joined in attacking them. Them as Paul and Silas here. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. And following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks, in chains. And about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were getting on the internet and saying how badly they'd been treated. Even had a video to show you. No, read it with me. Praying and singing hymns to God. I wonder if anybody had ever seen that before in their life. My hunch is no. And the prisoners were listening. Uh huh. They were listening. Yeah, I bet so. And suddenly there was an earthquake, the scripture says. So violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. How cool would that be? Because the prisons, they were simply made in the caves. And so if you have an earthquake, guess what? Whoop. You're free. Just like that. It's that easy for God. That's one. That's one thing we could learn. How to stay calm when we're confronted, when we're attacked. And by the way, this coming Christmas, when you're at Target and you're checking out and someone says, Happy Holidays, that's not an attack. (laughs) It's just not. Move on. Seriously, move on. So, the second thing we can learn is we can ask good questions, as Jesus did. We can stay curious about people instead of being judgmental about them. Look at how Jesus lived his life. He catches a woman in adultery, because apparently the man had been, you know, nobody's going to pay attention to that in that culture. And so Jesus, he steps up, And he says to her, woman, where are they? Where are they? That's a good question. Here's another question. Has no one condemned you? And if you know the story, she says, no. No one. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because next time I might not be here and they might kill you. You're pretty close this time. Not out of condemnation, but out of love. Out of just good common sense. Another thing we can learn from Jesus is becoming the kind of person who wants to do what is right. Friends, that is key. Who wants to do what is right and can confess and repent when we don't. We're not always going to get it right. That's why we say good morning saints, good morning sinners, because we won't always get it right. But when we don't, we have to be able to admit it so we can start over, so we can be forgiven, loved, and free, and not live in shame or guilt. It'll mess you up. So, yes, we want to be the kind of people who want to do what is right, not because we're afraid what will happen if we don't. That's no kind of life at all. That's no kind of faith at all. And it's always been this way, friends. And so this is really important that we understand this. Just because you do the right thing 
doesn't mean you're right with God. It's about your heart. If you tithe because you think your business is going to double, that's not how that works. If you serve in the children's department because you think your kids will be better behaved, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it works that way. Most of the time it doesn't work that way. You understand, if you do this and that to get yourself out of hot water, you might get out of hot water with your spouse or a child or friend. But God's looking at your heart. God knows, you can't fool God. So we learn this in a beautiful way with King David. We, we learn this in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because back in those days... You know, like tall Saul, the first king, people looked at tall people and said, oh, you must be the leader. We still do that today some. Because I've rejected him, God says, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. No, he doesn't. They look on the outward appearance. Read this last part with me. But the Lord looks on the heart. Right? The Lord looks on the heart. That's what God does. Todd Bolsinger, in his book, uh, which is one of the source materials for this sermon, he says, resilience in the face of resistance is something that can be learned and requires relationships. That's why church is so important. You as the body, the church, being there for one another. That's what fellowship is about, really being there for one another. And so the goal of this is to become ready for God to use us. To really use us, to transform resistance and despair into hope. That's why we come. To be loved by God, to remember our identity, and then to really... Transform the world. You're part of something much bigger than showing up on a Sunday. The mission of our denomination, a global denomination, one of only two left in the world, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church and the United Methodist Church, the only two global churches left in the world. And here's our mission. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples, followers, learners, apprentices, students of Jesus, of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Not just for our sake, but for the very transformation of the world. That's what we're about. The problem is, of course, that it's really hard these days. It seems to be getting harder. Why is that? Now, this is the part of the story and the sermon where you go, duh, pastor, I know this stuff. But let me remind us that we live in a time of anxiety, don't we? In a rapidly changing world. We have more information coming at us than we can deal with. And so it makes us anxious. When you have more information than you have power to deal with, it makes you depressed because it makes you scared. And so we're, we're seeing this all the time, particularly in our young people. So let, let's just play with this for a second. Last year in 2022, how many tweets do you think were sent per day? 650 million. I, I gave up Twitter a long time ago. You can't keep up with that. Or, the bane of my existence, emails. How many emails were sent every day, not in a year, every day, last year? 332.2 billion per day, most of which are still in my inbox. (laughs) Now, Jeffrey West about this situation that we're living in. He says, rather than being bored to death, 
Our actual challenge is to avoid anxiety attacks. Amen? Psychotic breakdowns, heart attacks, and strokes resulting from being accelerated to death. Not bored to death. Nobody's being bored to death anymore. We're being accelerated to death. Now, you, you may have come across this uh, a number of weeks ago, as I did. Um, and for all our, our young women and, and youth group and in our church, um, I'm praying for you. I hope the whole church is praying for you. It's a hard time to be a young lady in our world. 57% of female high school students in the U.S. have recently endured persistent sadness or hopelessness. More than half. Friend, they ought to be having the time of their life. Right? They, they shouldn't be working. They shouldn't have a mortgage. They shouldn't have a car payment. They should be living it up. And more than half of them are completely stressed out. Sad. Hopeless. And 30% of teen girls seriously considered ending their life, attempting suicide. 24% of them actually made a plan. Uh, down here, uh, it says teen girls in the United States faced unprecedented struggles to maintain their mental health. Like no other time. We live in an age of anxiety and pain. We do. So how, how do we teach our young people? How do we teach ourselves how to model something different than the world? And we do it like this. We resist the pain of real feedback or loss, and we resist the vulnerability required to learn a new skill. And that's our problem, right? We're still on the problem. We resist the pain of real feedback or loss, and we resist the vulnerability required to learn a new skill. Now, I, I get this. Particularly when I was in college, if I went on a date, I never ate at a restaurant I did not know where it was, and I didn't ever eat in a restaurant that required me to twirl spaghetti. Right? That could be disastrous. I didn't want to do any sport or any skill that I didn't know how to do nearly perfectly. Maybe you've been there. We don't want to try new things. Because it makes us vulnerable. Not because that new thing not, might not be cool, but that we'll look silly trying. Norman Vincent Peale got it right when he said, the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Isn't that true? Just tell me how great I am. It doesn't have to be true, just tell me. And so when our boys were growing up, they're now in their 20s, and we would set some boundaries with them that were good and healthy for them and healthy for our family system and healthy for their friends too. What they would say, I remember one night they, we sat down at the table and, and our oldest said to Chantel, he said, Mom, I don't mind our rules. It's just that I wish all the other kids had them too. I mean, they knew they were good for them. But man, it was hard living in a world where doing the next right thing when others don't, whew, it can leave you feeling vulnerable, unsure, and discouraged. You can do the right thing, but when all the people around you are not, it's hard. And friends, we've got to get used to this. We are in the minority position in the United States now, and we will be. We will be. We've got to teach ourselves and our kids how to learn to do the right thing when more than half of the people are not. You just got to learn how to do it. So as we learn to follow Jesus, resistance is a constant companion. There's that pull. There's that pull. So in 1 Peter, speaking to the early church, the very first Christians, he says, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. 
And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. Now, before I go on, this is super important, friends. Uh, and, and to our young people and to parents, we need to understand this. That we've lost much of this. And I don't mean this just because I'm old now. What I mean is that we've got a lot to learn from our elders. We really do. We lose wisdom. We've got all kinds of knowledge, but we've lost wisdom. And if you don't know the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is that you don't put that tomato in your fruit salad. There's a difference. You need both. And so, let me say to all of us who are younger, it doesn't necessarily matter how you feel about it. There is wisdom that you cannot know, that your parents know or your grandparents know. There just is. So, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering and more. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. He'll make you resilient. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So again, Bolsinger would say resilience is not about becoming smarter or tougher. It's about becoming stronger and more flexible. It's about becoming tempered. Tempered. Now, you may have heard of tempered glass. right? Here's a stairwell made of tempered glass. Friends, I'm not walking on a stairwell that's not tempered. It's four to five to more times stronger than regular glass. It's because it's been under pressure. It's been mixed with other things. It can withstand things that other regular glass cannot. And we have the opportunity to learn skills and a way of life to be that as well for others. A place to stand. A real firm place to stand. A living stone, Peter says. So the biblical witness is this. That being an apprentice of Jesus requires humility and tenacity. Both. So again, in Matthew 18, it says this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child. And he put among them and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever becomes humble, that's what Jesus is lifting up here, to be humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Read that with me. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, Jesus says. So this word for learner, apprentice, devotee, student, follower, it's disciple. It's to be a follower. And the beautiful thing about this is that if you love Jesus, you want to learn from him. If you truly love Jesus, you want to learn from him. You want to become like him because we learn from people we love. We want to emulate people that we love. So you might ask yourself, who am I emulating these days? Where's my heart? What do I really love? Because we are to be living stones, friends, of hope for the world, not despair, no longer despair. Stones of hope. So it says, welcome to the living stone, the source of life. This is the message. 
The workman took one look and threw it out. God said it in place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary, vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Right? The scripture provides precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Read it with me. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. Jesus Christ. To you who trust him, he is a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now a chief cornerstone. Whether you trust it or not, Jesus is the cornerstone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over. A boulder blocking the way, but they trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. Have you ever stumbled over a stone? I have. But what I will tell you is it's not because the stone was mad at me. It is a stone. That's just the truth about it. Jesus isn't mad at anyone. Doesn't mean someone won't stumble over the truth of who he is. Now, heaven, as you know, is where what God wants done is done. Heaven is where God knows best and is responsible for the results. And the opposite is true. Hell is where you know best and you have responsibility for the results. And you get to choose. You can follow God and the results, whatever those may be, and live in heaven now and later. Or you can choose to have all the cards in your hand, which goes great for a while until it doesn't. And then all hell breaks loose. We've all been there from time to time. Now, sometimes you don't even see it coming. Jesus did, but we don't. Jesus knew the heartbreak of sabotage. And and sabotage is simply this, friends. Resistance from the people who you love, you trust, and you count on. The most painful thing in all the world, I think. So, Scripture says it like this. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, you know that name, went to chief priests and said, read it with me, what will you give me if I betray him to you? See, Judas is one of those win-win guys. I'm going to get something out of it. Jesus is going to show who he really is. It's going to be great. So they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment, they began to look for an opportunity to betray him. So what? Why are we talking about this? Because sabotage happens to all of us. Sooner or later, someone that you really deeply love, someone you know that you know that you know will never do anything to harm you, harms you. And you don't know if you're going to make it. You don't know if you're going to come out of that because that was the person you were counting on. Bolsinger understands this. That it really does happen to all of us. He says, actually, it's normal. Terrible, but normal. Acts of sabotage are not the bad things that evil people do to stop good being done in the world. Okay, now I'm listening. Acts of sabotage are the human things that anxious people do. Because they fear they are losing what little good is left in the world. When you've been betrayed and you actually get into that conversation about that, you know what you hear most often, don't you? I had to. I just had to. No, you didn't. But your anxiety pushed you. You felt like you had to. You knew that there would be some fallout. You didn't know all the fallout, but you knew, but you did it anyway. So that's the thing. We've all experienced sabotage. We've all been a saboteur from time to time, and it's terrible. But 
there's a way forward. And that is this, that a tempered and resilient follower of Jesus doesn't succumb to group anxiety, either to fit in or to rebel, either way. You can simply stand as a living stone, firm. You don't have to lose hope or become brittle or angry or discouraged or disconnected. All those, those are all very real temptations when we're hurt. You don't have to. Because our life is not about the world. It's about Him. About love, forgiveness, grace, truth. And you know this as well as I do, that the world needs grounded, teachable, oh my gosh, teachable, attuned, adaptable, and tenacious followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who embody His love. His love. So resilience is not something that can be mustered in a moment, is it? Have you all ever done something perfectly the first time? The answer is no. The answer is no. Why? Because it's impossible to be ready for something that you've never practiced. You just can't. Nobody rides a bike perfectly the first time. No one dives off the high dive perfectly the first time. And as a lifeguard for many years, it is both joyous to watch, annoying, terrible, and fascinating. All at the same time. Is she going to go? Is she going to do a belly flop? Is she going to cry? Am I going to have to go save her? Can she swim? All these questions are in my mind when they're going off the high dive. So how we live into this? Because we're all here, aren't we? We've got to go into the next day, not knowing how it will be. So, our action step. Take personal responsibility for your own growth as an apprentice of Jesus. Right? That's what we do at confirmation. That's what we do with our membership vows. We say, this is no longer grandma's faith. I'm being formed by it still, yes. But I'm taking responsibility now. I'm choosing to follow. God's grace is for me. I'm accepted. It's free. But I'm choosing to follow now. And that's powerful. So take responsibility. Not your mom getting you to church. Not your husband getting you to church. Not your wife getting you to church. Not the grandma getting to church. Not because it's Mother's Day getting to church. Ow. Right? I mean, you're, you're like, I'm, it's me. I'm choosing it. And so remember, you don't have to do anything to be loved by Jesus. You don't. But you do have to sign up and do the work to follow Jesus. You don't earn it, but it takes great effort. Right? So how do we do this? How do we actually say yes, start to follow? Well, you have to practice the skills of being a Christian. Like what? Well, the spiritual skills that Jesus taught. Right? To be a student of Jesus in this world. What do those look like? Well, to, to follow up with Dr. King, we can lift up someone who's experiencing a valley. We can remove an obstacle for someone who is struggling. We can mend a fence. That's one of my favorites. You don't have to have the last word. Try that one for a week. And you can listen without judgment. All these things are things you can practice this week. Choose one. And start to develop the skills of being a resilient Follower, disciple of Jesus, for that's who we're called to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen.